Welcome to Our Missouri, a podcast about the people, places, culture, and history of the 114 counties and independent city of St. Louis that comprise the great state of Missouri. Each episode focuses on a topic related to the state, ranging from publications about Missouri's history to current projects undertaken by organizations to preserve and promote local institutions. The Our Missouri podcast is recorded at the Center for Missouri Studies in Columbia and is generously provided to you by the State Historical Society of Missouri. And now, here's your host, Sean Rost. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Wherever you're tuning in to listen to the Our Missouri podcast. My name is Sean Ross, and I'm you guys who explore the memories, moments, and misfortunes from our Missouri. Well, we've reached the end of our series here on Title IX in Missouri, and we thank you for joining us along the way. We've looked at everything from legislation for Title IX itself to play days to some of the earliest teams and individual competitors who dotted the Missouri landscape to collections and finally the long history of the AIAW. To conclude... We'll bring it all the way up into the present day and look at the evolution of sports journalism, particularly when it relates to women in sports journalism here in the 21st century. And to join me to talk about this are four women involved in journalism who have ties nationally as well as to the state of Missouri. I'll let them introduce themselves and then we'll jump into the conversation. So Catherine Lucchese, I always wanted to be a professor. I thought I would do it later in life, but... It worked out, and now I teach journalism. I don't teach sports journalism, but I do teach a social media audience strategy course and a content creation course. I'm always trying to teach sports and grow our sports program, especially at the journalism school, because there's such an interest. So my name is Maddie Glab, and I'm currently working for the Buffalo Bills. I'm their team reporter. Um, I've been their team reporter for about four years. This is my fourth season with the team. Um, so yeah, been in Buffalo for four years now. Lauren Michelson. I work for KLKN TV and ABC affiliate here in Lincoln, Nebraska. It's a pretty newer station. I think it was really started in 1995, maybe. So newest in Nebraska. My full name is Danny Wexelman, and I am a contractor freelance on-air reporter. So I work for myself and I primarily cover baseball. I do play-by-play, sideline, studio work, and host various digital content as well, but primarily on-air, and I work uh, as well on radio for SiriusXM MLB Network Radio. To begin with, tell us a little bit about your involvement, not only with journalism and where the interest comes from, but really your involvement in sports journalism. I went to school here at Mizzou from 2005 to 2009. Um, I thought I wanted to be Oprah and have a talk show and meet all different types of people, but I grew up a huge sports fan, a lot of baseball, basketball, and some football. Obviously, when I came to college, um, I like to tell people I'm the same age as Chase Daniel, if they're trying to figure out eras, and Brad Smith was a senior when I was a freshman, so I saw a lot of good times with Mizzou football. Um, And that's when I started following football closely. And I worked at K1U and did a lot of high school football reporting. And that was the first time that I went out and reported when it comes to journalism. And although it comes off as like high school game highlights, our job was to go out and meet the people in the community of mid-Missouri. What are their stories? What are their passions behind um, football and the community? And why do they get together from that? 
And so I kind of really loved the game of football from that because it's more than just a game, which I know you can say about any sport, but it's interesting to me in America, and especially in small town America, that all these people and communities come together and like that's the event of the week. Yeah, so I grew up in uh, northwest suburbs of Chicago. I was the firstborn of three, so I have a brother and a sister, and my dad always followed Chicago sports, um, big sports guy. So he loved the Cubs, the Chicago Bulls, the Bears, and the Blackhawks. Um, and since we grew up in such a great sports city, um, it's a great place to, to cheer for teams. And each team has had their times where they've been really good. I was in Chicago for the Blackhawks Stanley Cup runs, that they had a few of them. Um, I wasn't living in Chicago when the Cubs won the World Series, but that's like the team that we ride the hardest for. So mm -hmm. when they won the World Series, it was amazing. Um, and it's also been funny because when I went to Mizzou, there's all these rivalries with these Chicago teams. And I think part of it is because there's so many Chicago kids that go to Mizzou. Um, and of course, a lot of Missouri kids. So the St. Louis Blues and the Chicago Blackhawks and the Cardinals and the Cubs, there's just these rivalries that were made even bigger once you got to Mizzou. Um, but I think since I was the firstborn, my dad didn't know, you know, am I going to have a son who, who may like sports a little bit more than my daughters. So I was, I was thrown into the fire right away, um, but played T-ball growing up, played a bunch of sports growing up and just really gravitated toward playing sports and following sports. When I was really young, I would joke around and say I wanted to be the first woman in the MLB because I played softball throughout high school and wanted to play in college, didn't end up playing in college, but um, knew that I wanted to study in sports and, and figure out a way to work in sports and get paid to work in sports because that was my favorite thing. Went through school and really didn't love any subjects or anything like that. So I thought, let's try and go into sports and see where it goes from here. And when I was looking at colleges, I was looking at um, good broadcast journalism schools because I knew I, I wanted to test out um, being on camera or being in the journalism field, whether that was writing or behind the camera, in front of the camera. So I researched a couple and Mizzou was definitely at the top of my list in terms of schools that had great journalism programs. So that's kind of how I fell on sports and on Mizzou. Yeah, so I think it starts back to um, kind of my childhood. So I have a twin brother and um, basically my entire life growing up was just being shuffled to and from my various sports I played, but especially his weekend football games, his baseball tournaments. A lot of our family culture was dictated around um, sports. So for me, it kind of athletics and sports as a whole, whole was always just um, like homey to me. I felt happiest watching him play on a football field. I made my friends that way. My parents made their friends that way. Um, so a lot of that happiness growing up came from watching football, whether it was at the level of him practicing and playing on a weekend or watching um, college football on a Saturday or watching the Chiefs on a Sunday. It was just kind of like our family life revolved around it. Um, and so a lot of good memories stemmed from that. I always had an interest in journalism. I always excelled more at writing, horrible at math, uh, but reading and writing was definitely something I loved to do. So in high school, I started taking um, a yearbook class and, and that professor really helped kind of um, 
help shape my love for writing and journalism. Um, and when I kind of learned that you could put the two together, like, oh, you, I see these reporters at football games and I see these um, women in roles that I could do. I was um, interested in trying to make that happen. It's probably around 14, 15 years old. So yeah, I started with my brother, Jack, and um, kind of our family history. And that one uh, teacher in high school really helped shape it too. Growing up in St. Louis, you are born a Cardinals fan. You are born a sports fan. And it's something that was really important in my household. Sports were really important in my household. And my dad is definitely the primary reason that I am doing what I'm doing because growing up, I played a lot of different sports and um, my mom was the primary breadwinner. And so my mom was working a lot and my dad would take me to sports. My dad was heavily invested in them and took me to my first practices. And so I think I realized how much I loved the aspect of team sports. I loved the idea of competing and competition and and growing and getting better. And when I realized that I wasn't probably going to play in college, I think that in high school, I started to think, wow, I really like the aspect of this of sports, but also of storytelling. Uh, and so I think that's when I realized, oh, that's journalism. That's that's something that that is you can do that as a job when you grow up. So my dad's influence on me, I would say, reigns pretty heavily as far as the sports arena goes. And then I took some photography classes in high school. I was on yearbook staff and I really just started to realize that I liked having a voice and I liked being a voice and following a story, whether it was through photos or words. And so when I decided to go to Mizzou, I knew I wanted to do journalism. I was looking outside of the state. I thought it would be nice to kind of spread my wings a little bit, but my mom made a really good point to me. She said, do you want to go to the best journalism school in the country? And I said, yeah, I do. And she's like, well, then you should be staying here in the state and you can spread your wings and, and there's other opportunities for that. But if this is what you want to do with your life, this is where you should go. And, and so I chose Mizzou. I chose broadcast journalism. I wasn't honestly 100% sure of that route. I just knew I loved to tell stories in one way or another. And so as I grew through school and realized I do like to be in front of the camera telling that story, I think that's when I realized that I could marry my love for sports, my love for storytelling with journalism, and that I could try and make a career out of it, try my hardest anyway. So I think I would say definitely my dad is a huge reason. And then just my love for storytelling. Talk a little bit about some of those key moments in your career that has led up to now. Um, my first job out of college, um, I worked for Gary Pinkle and Mike Alden uh, for the Mizzou Athletic Department, specifically the Mizzou football staff. And I was hired to do video storytelling um, internally, I was part of the football coaching staff. So there's a picture of me on our like photo team day and it's like me and like 35 men. Um, but I was in the room with them. Coach Pinkle had me in the room in the meetings, watching the film, listening to what they are talking about, the day-to-days, the depth chart, all of that. Because if I knew more about the team, I could pick up what stories could be told. And so that training from journalism and sports journalism definitely carried through. It's just I was more of an internal storyteller. 
I was first hired to do a lot of video storytelling um, because websites were becoming a thing for college football teams at the time in 2009. Um, also in 2009, Twitter was just on the rise. Instagram hadn't been created. Facebook definitely wasn't what it is now. Snapchat wasn't around. Um, we could go on, right? But my job evolved over seven football seasons to really figure out how to tell stories through digital media um, for our football team. And the target audience, which journalists have and strategic communicators have, my target audience were high school football players across the country, so recruiting. But the fans definitely connected with the stories of the team. And then I would say through that time, I also really, really loved football because to me, there's no one sport where you have so many different people. <laughs> I mean, so many different people. Small town Texas, and then you have like the Dallas boys, or you have the ones from LA or Chicago, and then small town Missouri. And I mean, just the diversity and range of stories and then coming together to play a game was fascinating. I knew I was gonna get a job but I knew it wasn't going to be easy um, just because of how the sports kids kind of were the last ones to get jobs. So I ended up moving home after I graduated in May and ended up searching for jobs throughout the summer and kind of landed on more of a part-time opportunity at first. Um, so I got a job at Stanford University in California. So I ended up working there for a full season, like, not even a year, a full sports season. And during the college's summer, I was kind of like, okay, Pac-12 or at least Stanford is not the same as the SEC, is not the same as the fan base that, that Mizzou had. And I really want that. I feel like I am on the same level of those crazy SEC fans in terms of my passion for sports. And I wanted that in my life again. So I left Stanford and ended up getting a job at the University of Tennessee um, in more of a an on-camera role. I also was a shooter and editor as well. So moved to Knoxville, Tennessee and worked there for four years covering mainly football, basketball, and softball. And I was um, also a sideline reporter for them, did a lot of sidelining for the SEC network on their digital side of things, and then also was our radio um, sideline reporter um, for our football team. So that was really cool to be a part of really cool opportunity. Um, I got to cover a game at Mizzou, which was so fun being on the sidelines for Tennessee and getting to see a lot of my fellow Mizzou people, getting to see some of my teachers. Um, Chris Gervino was the sideline and I think still is the sideline reporter for the Mizzou football team. And so we shared the sideline together, which was so cool. You know, he taught me a lot of what I know and it was awesome to, to share the sideline with him. Um, so worked there for four years. And then after four years there, I kind of knew, okay, I love football. I want to stay in football, but I'm ready to move on to the next level. So for me, that was the NFL. And I saw a job get posted for the Bills. Never thought I'd live in Buffalo in my life. Never thought I'd live in Knoxville. Never thought I'd live uh, in Palo Alto, California. But that's just kind of the nature of the business. You go where the jobs are. I knew I wanted to get involved there right away. So um, freshman year, I worked, I think, just like a really simple role as a PA or a desk assistant, and then um, worked at the campus station MUTV, 
to kind of get my foot in the door there and make those little mistakes before I started working at KOMU. Um, and then just took the regular journalism classes or pre-journalism, whatever, whatever they were. Um, but really it kind of, in my sophomore year, I had a couple older women in journalism, um, Natalie Jones, who's the sports director over at ABC 17 in Columbia, KMIZ. Um, she really reached out to me and said, Hey, I heard you're interested in shooting some football on Friday nights. We need some more shooters. We don't have a lot of women come, come do this. So sophomore year that her kind of taking me under her wing really helped get my foot in the door significantly at KOMU. And from there, it, um, all worked really fast after the pandemic sent everyone home. Um, we kind of came back and was more motivated than ever after missing a lot of time. So, um, junior and senior year was really formative at KOMU, especially under, um, sports director Ben Arnett and, um, Jamie Navalga as the new news director. The two of them gave me a lot of opportunities as an upperclassman to travel, um, and, and really fall in love with the reporting side of things on the road at football games. Um, so I'm very thankful to them and really everything I learned while at Mizzou. So I, I struggled to find a, a job in local TV after school. I graduated in 2011. So I ended up staying in town and I took some classes. I thought Mizzou had just joined the SEC. So I thought maybe I'd work for the SEC network that didn't end up working out. And then it, it also coincided with getting an offer to work for a minor league baseball team. So baseball, like going back, growing up in St. Louis, again, I played softball, baseball is in your blood. And so I think that was a natural fit for me. So my first job out of school was an internship paid internship with a minor league baseball team in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. So I drove out there and packed up my car and drove out and spent the summer interning for a team where I not only did my job as the digital and social media intern, I was the mascot. I was in charge of cleaning up the suites and taking the trash out, setting up the inflatables, cleaning spider webs and bird poop out of the bleachers. I was, I wore every hat that you could imagine while I was there. I, I checked that off. I pivoted. I would say the next milestone is I got a job in New York in 2014. Between then I, I came back to Columbia. I worked with Sarah Hill at Veterans United and I am indebted to her for life for everything that she did for me and taught me and the relationship that we built together. She taught me the best lesson of my life to color outside the lines and be okay with it and not be perfect and, and, and spread your wings and make, make more mistakes as many as you can make. That's, that's the beauty of life. And in 2014, I got a job because of um, the Mizzou mafia. There was a guy at MLB.com, Brian Mortensen. I'm indebted to him for my whole life. I reached out. He said they had openings. I applied two weeks later, I moved to New York and that's a funny story in itself, but getting the job to move here. Never thought I'd live here in my twenties. I was, I was only freelance until the baseball season was over and I was determined to make it work. And I was a really, I was a tadpole, maybe not even, maybe I wasn't even like that big when I moved to New York and I knew I had a lot of work to put in because I, I always do things backwards. I have taken the road less traveled. I have made a lot of zigzag turns, but this is the path and this is where I ended up. So I'm in New York and I would say the next milestone is when I went full time at MLB.com and then I got laid off in 2019 and my world crumbled and I thought it was ending. And I, I didn't, I think there was like a huge stigma around the idea of getting laid off that it was because of what I did. And I quickly realized, oh, people get laid off sometimes for other reasons. No one really talks about it. 
and it was the end of what I thought was the career that I was starting to build at MLB.com, being more on air, doing more digital work, reporting. And ultimately, it was the best thing that ever happened to me because as I built my way back through the pandemic, losing work again in 2021, I kind of hit my stride. And and then I would say the next milestone was actually just this past year in March when I got a freelance contract with ESPN and I they reached out to me. So your whole career, you're you're always asking, do you have any availabilities? Do, do you need me? Can I help? Uh, pick me, choose me, love me, like I'm the best for this, right? And and in this case, it was the first time in my career, someone really reached out to me and said, we see what you're doing. We like what you're doing. We want you to be a part of this. And that was uh, a moment, again, I didn't think I would have this soon in my life. And I um, I had, I think, a career year for myself this year. When we think about the 21st century, obviously, the subject of social media dominates a lot of really everything that we do in a lot of our lives right now. How has social media evolved from the time that you were first perhaps in journalism school all the way up into the present day and how it affects your career? I think we see a bunch of different shifts when it comes to social media. I am in no means a researcher, by the way. I have also have found it very hard to find people who do research social, social media as I try to teach it. It's just because it's changing constantly so fast. And so this is all my personal experience. Um, but I think we had a trend. So if you look at, to your point, when the history of, when LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook were, were created, and then also you know, Twitter, and then Instagram, and then Facebook vice Instagram, all of that happened within like five to seven years. I mean, it was like, what is going on? It was like 2003 to 2010, I would say. There was a lot of development of social media platforms that came out. Some didn't last, some did, um, and a lot of them have morphed. And now I think it's getting into the um, ownership and stronger business model of how can they make money off of it, which is fair. It is a business. And that's something I really emphasize to my students are, you know, these are tech companies, like they have to make money too. And so I think at first everybody was just excited to say, oh, we can engage and connect. And now I can also see the inside voice of this athlete, or I can see what they're doing at home or how they train for the game and get to know their favorite people on a personal level and or connect with similar people that they couldn't have met in person. I love social media for that. And I still think that is true on any platform, whichever your platform is. But where I think it is now, which I really try to do is the media literacy part of social media, which is what is happening with the content, both that I'm putting out there on social media and what I'm saying and writing and sharing. And then also what am I engaging with and what is what am, what does that do to how I perceive the world basically. So we get into the algorithms and I teach a lot of, this is how it works, right? And social media companies um, have gotten really good at figuring out algorithms. We see that with TikTok the most. The Wall Street Journal did a very good investigation on the TikTok algorithm. And basically, say you're interested in college football, right? After about a couple of hours, if you're only watching um, college football videos where it says hashtag NCAA or hashtag quarterback or hashtag SEC, eventually you'll only see like that SEC quarterback 
college football stuff, which is great if that's what you want to see. Whereas I think like 10, 15 years ago, you saw everything. And so there's that discussion that I'm constantly having, and I want my students' perspective just as much of like, is it good that you're seeing what you want to see? Or are you hindered because you're not seeing everything? And that's also my balance of like, I have the journalistic mind and heart of like, we need to know everything to be fair and balanced to make our own decisions. But as a strategic communicator, you do want people to see what you want. So those high school athletes, we do want them to see what Mizzou's campus looks like, what our academic programs are like, right? So they want to come to school here. Um, so it's a give and take, but I think just the media literacy part of understanding how the platforms and basically the internet works is helpful, because that's a good first step. But it's crazy to me how much has changed in like 10, 15 years. So I'm looking at my Twitter profile right now because it says when you joined. So it okay. says joined August 2010. So I remember joining Twitter kind of within the first few months, I would guess within the first month since I probably came in June or July. Um, but you just got thrown into it. And it was really interesting to, to be a part of the class that I was because it was on the forefront of all of that. And it was very new. And it wasn't something that the teachers could have prepared for. Like, of course, you know, this digital age is coming, but they're learning on the fly as you're learning. So I thought that was really cool because um, everybody had a say in like, what, how should we cover this? How should we use social media to lift up this story? Um, how should we approach our Twitter profiles as reporters? Um, how should we be covering a story on Twitter? Um, I remember when I first got to KOMU, it was in the age of the website was really important. So before we would even cut and edit something for our six o'clock newscast, it would be write up the web story first. Like we were, they would tell us to think website, 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 think internet, like that's the most important thing. And then you need to get your stuff done for the, the six, nine and 10 newscast. But it was always very web first mindset. So I think that kind of naturally, um, flowed into Twitter. And I don't know if I really used Instagram in the way that I use it now. Um, I was on Instagram in college, but it was a lot more fun. And I don't, I don't know if our teachers really touched Instagram in a way that like, Hey, this can be a vehicle to report stories as well. I remember seeing people doing that maybe in my junior and senior year. Um, I can't remember what exact year Instagram really took off, but I did have a Twitter in college. And I remember like going back to some of my early, early reporting days when I was on the news side, because you had to do news. It was like almost a gift to be able to do sports. You had to take your classes that everybody else takes regardless of if you wanted to do sports or news, but you had to first start in sports and your classes like broadcast two, broadcast three were very news focused. And then you kind of, once you pass those, it was like, here, you can finally cover sports, sports, which was great because you knew you got to learn how to cover um, different types of stories that also could fall into sports, whether it's, um, whether it's court cases, whether it's, um, players getting arrested or anything like that you know a lot of that 
not all the time, but it will fall into and cross over into sports. So it was great to learn new stuff first. Um, but yeah, I remember tweeting out stories or tweeting out being on the scene for stuff, whether it was um, somebody debriefing a group of people based on what happened, like a, a police officer or something, and kind of tweeting out, okay, the sheriff is saying this, or this person is saying this, or I'm I'm at this festival and, you know, it starts at this time. So I remember very early um, using my Twitter for work. Um, I don't think I've, I mean, Twitter can be personal in ways, but Twitter is definitely very professional for me. Um, and it's been professional from the beginning. And I'm, I'm really thankful that we got to learn how to use Twitter while we were a part of the program at Mizzou, a part of the journalism program and kind of got that ingrained into our brains as like, this is, this is a, um, a vehicle. This is a platform that you can use to support what you're saying on the news at six, nine and 10. And I also remember we had a class. Um, I don't remember exactly what class it was, but we would have classes where it would be like, okay, everybody has an iPhone or something similar to an iPhone. Today, your assignment is go out in downtown Columbia and shoot and edit a story on your phone. So like go interview a man on the street about whatever you want to talk about and then shoot some B-roll on your phone and then edit it all together. So I think our teachers did a great job of knowing the era we were in and knowing that it was really the digital world now and, and teaching us how to act like that and teaching us how to use things that we had in our pocket to report stories. I mean, we live in a digital first world. So I think every journalist, whether you work for a, a t local TV station, a network level or a print, print outlet should have that mindset of digital first. Um, but it's just ever-changing landscape and it's always going to be there. It's not going away whether you like it or not. And I think using it to your advantage as a journalist is a really important thing. So in my day-to-day -day job, if I'm at a press conference for a head coach, I'm on my laptop taking notes to turn for my live hits later in the day, but I'm also tweeting out to our viewers and tweeting from both our station account um, and from my personal account because it's, you know, it's finding that balance of how to build your own professional brand and how to um, do well in your company, your station's brand too, and meeting those in the middle together to create a good product. Um, but social media can really enhance the way we tell stories. You can tease to things, you can reach people you wouldn't normally reach. Um, and it's just really entertaining, especially in sports. The like uh, the college athletics landscape is dominated by Twitter and by Instagram, and it's fascinating. And um, a lot of things will break on there before they're broken elsewhere. So um, I get a lot of my news from social media, from Twitter. Um, it can be difficult because sometimes I feel like I can't turn my phone off. Um, like, especially when Nebraska was going through coaching fires and hires and we had arrests and so it's been a busy fall. Um, it was a busy fall. I felt, yeah, I felt like I always had to have my ringer on and, um, that that's the tough part is you're always on, but, um, it's definitely a positive in the way that you can get news very quickly. Oh, tremendously. When I was in high school, we had just gotten Facebook. So I grew up with Facebook in college and posting and sharing a little bit, sharing probably too much now looking back. 
and kind of realizing, oh, maybe we need to hone it in. And then Twitter was a huge part of my college experience as well. In 2009, I remember specifically getting on Twitter. The journalism school said this would be a good tool for you. You should get on. Jen Reeves, obviously ahead of the curve in that respect. And so I think everyone in my class joined very early and you were you're realizing the reach that you could have. I, I would say that my family did a really good job of making sure I'm aware of my world and what's around me, but I don't really think it was until college that I kind of realized how big the reach was and and what everything of life entails. I, I maybe sound small-minded in that way, but I just think it really opened my eyes. And so realizing how can this tool help me? How can I be a better journalist? Because I have more ears and eyes of people who don't live anywhere near me right? They live on the other side of the world, if you want. And and that includes also Google Hangouts, which is what Sarah Hill pioneered at KOMU and realizing she was connecting with people all over the world in every corner of this planet. And you can share a story and you can inform people and you can give them a picture of what's happening here. And so I would say with like those tools, my college experience was probably different than a lot because we we're also kind of experimenting on them too, right? You're trying to figure out what is this thing? What works? What links work? Can you post a story? Do people consume it? So it was a lot of trial and error. I felt like we were like the dummy, the test dummies of the early times of Twitter, of Google Hangouts, just trying to figure out what's the point of all of this. And so when I graduated, I'm so I'm so grateful for social media because it helped me connect with people. I didn't know anybody in New York, right? When I was in college, I didn't know anybody in California. And so you can, I look back and it's so crazy because some of the people I followed very early on, I ended up being coworkers with them. I ended up working with them. And that is the power in itself of what social media can do for you because I knew I wanted to be connected. I like to be connected. I love people. I love getting to know people. And so that was a great way for me to just reach out. And it's it's kind of easy. It's safe, right? You say, hey, I love your work. Hey, uh, tell me more about this story. Or can I pick your brain about this? People love to talk about themselves, right? That's what we're doing here. People love to talk about themselves. So I knew that really early on in my life. And I tried to use that to my advantage to get to know people and connect with people. And so I knew later in my life, I, I might need them. I might need them for a job. I might need them to share my story, share my content or engage with my content. And so I think that it, it changed the entire landscape of how I connected with people, how I did my job, how I learned to share what I did and figure out what's the best way and the most, how do I get the most eyes on what I'm doing and make people care. How do you make people care? That's the point of journalism, right? You you want to create content and tell stories that change people's minds, inspire people, teach them something and make them want to share. And, and that's the goal for me. So I think social media has played a, a crazy role in what I do. And I, I'm careful with it. I'm probably more careful with it now than I ever was and probably have taken my foot off the gas a little bit and realizing it the quality is way more important, but the tools have been amazing. I, I am really grateful for them for the most part. Now fans have strong opinions, both for and against certain teams and players and individuals. How does fandom affect the journalist as a watcher of sports, but also as an observer and a writer and a producer of that content? 
Yeah, a lot of our students are definitely fans, um, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think it's recognizing, hey, I grew up a Kansas City Chiefs fan, um, and I'm a diehard St. Louis Cardinals fan or something. That's fine. Like, that is completely fine. I think that's step one, is realizing this is how I feel and how I grew up and, like, the team that I love and or certain players and say, okay, I know that, I recognize it. Like consciously saying that, not just like telling people all the time and then saying, okay, what do I do with that information as I need to go out and report? I think one of the best reporters in the state, in the country is Dave Matter. He's always very, very fair, right? And so he, I'm friends with him, he's friends with Coach Pinkle. There are plenty of great reporters who, and journalists who were friendly with the team and coaches because we're around each other all the time. But we would say, hey, you know, now is the time for me to report on what happened. Now I'm a journalist. And honestly, anything you tell me at any point in time is fair game. And so just knowing that consciously, and Dave's a big Cardinals fan. Like, it's possible to be a fan and then just say, I still have to report on the news and when it happens. So it's, it is fascinating for the students. I mean, we teach that ethical discussion constantly in every class, um, and especially on social media. I'm like, what are you saying on social media? The Missourian says, don't use exclamation points, which is very hard for me to do. Um, I didn't do it last week. But that's their like simple takeaway for the students. Like, don't give your thoughts and opinion, and don't use exclamation points, because it makes it look like you're mad, excited, some type of feeling outside of neutral. So I thought that was an interesting tip that they that they do. Yeah, well, you get it from the fans on social media, that's for sure, because when I got the job at Tennessee, people knew I went to Mizzou because it was in my Twitter bio and it was what I talked about. And so fans, Tennessee fans are like, why is this Mizzou girl working for Tennessee now? Blah, 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 blah. And then I get the job with the Bills and people find out that I'm from Chicago and cheered for the Bears. And people are like, why is this Bears fan working for the Bills? You get it more from the fans than I guess you would get it from yourself of like feeling conflicted of, of going to a game and, and, you know, trying to remain neutral. Um, the nice thing also, since I've been working for teams, is like, I can be a fan of that team. That's what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to kind of be on the same level as the fans, maybe not as, maybe not as passionate as some of our fans are, especially, um, a part of Bill's mafia. Those are some incredible fans. Um, so it's been it's been the transition part is interesting. And then once you get to know the the team that you're covering, it's really easy to to kind of fall in line and to kind of, you know, dive into being a supporter for whoever you're working for. But Mizzou is always going to be near and dear to my heart. The Bears are always going to be near and dear to my heart. I can't, I can't change the past. Like, sorry, Tennessee fans that I decided to go to one of the best journalism schools in the world. And sorry, Bills fans that I was born in Chicago. I, I couldn't change that. So I think it's kind of funny when you hear that from the fans, because it's like, I'm going to do my job. I'm going to do my job. I'm not going to do anything else but my job. And you won't be able to notice that. It can be hard in sports because especially because why we do this job well we we do this do this job because we love storytelling but we also do this job because we love sports we love the way it brings people together we love everything about it so 
Um, I went into this job never having been to a Nebraska football game in my entire life, never knowing Nebraska volleyball was so amazing. And now I'm over here, like clinching between sets for volleyball, freaking out on the sidelines for Nebraska football. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what's happening? And then I'll get the occasional um, Twitter Twitter DM from a diehard Nebraska fan who insults me because I was, I'm a Mizzou grad. So it's definitely, it's funny. It's a funny, it's what makes it fun. Uh, but you just kind of have to realize you, you are a professional. You have to um, have that professional professional appearance wherever you go when it comes to appearance as, you know, not being vocal about your opinions of the game on the sideline. Um, press boxes actually have a rule, no cheering, no reaction. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of just, it's it starts, you know, it starts while you're in school, you know this, you know, you have to be biased and it's the ethics we learn from a young student and carry into our first jobs and then of course into next ones um and yeah it can be a fine line to kind of balance but I think it just comes down to you know you're doing your job you're telling a story you're, you're not here to give your opinion I'm not here to give my opinion I don't I don't want people to watch me or or, or um, watch my stories or anything because they want my opinion because I'm not I'm not here to give you my opinion I'm here to tell you a story I'm here to report on the facts and when you break it down like that there's no room for um, opinion and bias, which is good. I I don't know if I'm in the majority or the minority when I say this, but I think that it weighs on you in various different ways. I Maybe that's my generation. Maybe I'll claim it. I'm definitely more sensitive, I think, than the average person, but I because I care, like I deeply care and I'm so passionate about what I do. When you find what you love, it's hard to separate that sometimes. So for example, covering baseball on a national level do I talk about the Cardinals more than my other co-hosts yeah I do I I do I just naturally do do I think to myself do I want to rip them here do I want to expose something that I didn't think was right or or a a choice they made or a trade they made or a a decision in game. Do I want to criticize that heavily that sits with you? And then you have to remember, no, that's your job. Sometimes it's tough because you, if you have feelings, if you have emotions, which most humans do, especially journalists, I think that you, you have to find a way to separate that and know that that's your job. And that's what everyone else is doing in your job and to be good at your job and to do your job right. That's only fair to be transparent, to be unbiased. And so I I work probably extra hard in that regard. There are moments when no matter what you do, no matter how unbiased you are, transparent you are, there's always going to be the fan who thinks that you hate their team. It doesn't matter how hard you try. I'm still a pretty small fish and I try really hard and I still get messages all the time. And I get, and things like that, that happened earlier this year. And I, and it stinks because you want to be credible. It goes back to that. You want to be trustworthy. But if people see you smiling too big when you're interviewing somebody, it must mean that you like them and that you are being giddy about them. It must mean that because heaven forbid a woman do her job and smile. As we've looked at Title IX and in the expansion of opportunities for women in athletics and higher education, in looking at the present day, how has women's involvement in sports journalism evolved over time, not only with your own career, but even going back farther than that. What is the state of the field today? 
Yeah, well, to the first question, I always felt welcomed and treated equally. And I think that just comes from Coach Finkel and his respect for women. He's very vocal about that. Um, and he's very vocal about that with the football team, to all, like about all women all times. I mean, it was clear that outside of me and our sports dietitian and maybe a few strength coaches, it was like there weren't many females in the room. <clears throat> and so it wasn't just like, hey, we need to respect Kat, although that was like a thing. It was, we need to respect all women at all times and you lead by example. And so Coach Pinkle was always like that with the whole team for sure and within the room. I remember um, there were situations, um, one in particular where one of our football players was in trouble. And sometimes those conversations needed to be a little bit more private um, depending on like the legality and how much could be shared and whatnot. And we took a break and uh, Coach Winkle said something like, we want mostly just the coaches in here now. Cause we had like a bunch of, coaching staffs are more than just position coaches. And someone said, well, like, should Kat be in here or no? And cause I wasn't really a coach, but I was also like an internal spokesperson. And he was like, yeah, she can be in here. Cause he had that trust and understood my value. I don't think anything, any of that had to do with me being a female or not in that situation, but he respected me as a person, always did, um, still does to this day. And so that was awesome. And naively, that was my first job out of college. And I just thought everybody would be that great all the time. Um, I didn't recognize like my different role as a female until probably I left like Mizzou football necessarily. And got into a more unfamiliar place for me and realizing like, oh, as like a woman, I might be put to cover the women's basketball team more, or yes, I could cover football, but my voice wasn't heard as much as it was when I worked under Coach Winkle. So that's fine. I mean, those, there's bias here and there, and those are my experiences, but I didn't ever recognize it at the time, but I'm very, very much aware of it now and thankful now. I will tell you, I think all but one of the interns I had while working for Mizzou football were female students. Um, and I don't know why. I think that a lot of, I think I'm recognizing that a lot of like younger female students come to me because I might look like them and they're like, well, you did it and that's what I wanna do. I do have male students come talk to me plenty of times as well about how they can get better and what they can do. But there's definitely more female students when I know most of, our, most of our sports journalism students are male. So I think I'm more aware of it now, but at the time I was just like, I mean, I have three brothers and no sisters. And so like, I don't know, like I was just in a room of, I was just doing my job, which I think as I talk to other women who have been through, you know, Title IX and changes and some of my colleagues, it's like, well, I was just still doing my job, right? I was just trying, some days were hard, some days have been hard, but you know, it's just like sticking to it, doing your job, knowing that's why you were hired. Um, so I think about it now more so as I'm trying to influence and have like guide, I should say, I'm trying to guide students regardless of who they are and what they wanna do. I'm more conscious of like my role as like a female and probably someone who's closer-ish to their age and like closer to my career than I was teaching. So I am aware of it. I don't talk about it directly too, too much, but yeah, it was nice. It was, it's funny when I bring up the picture, like people are like, oh my gosh. I'm like, oh yeah, I guess it looks weird that I'm like, 
with these 30 football coaches. But to me, that was just like my family. So whatever. <laughs> I think it's definitely evolved. I think it's evolved since I've been a student. I think it's evolved since I've been in my career. Um, I think it's continually, continuously evolving, which I think is really great and amazing. But while it's evolving and getting better and better, I always think there's still work to be done. Um, there's still people on Twitter calling women out. Um, there's still people who don't think women should be in the jobs that they are because maybe they didn't play the sport. But there's plenty of men who are covering sports that they didn't play as well. Um, so it really makes no sense. When I was in the field, I would say I was one of few um, when I was at press conferences, when I was covering games, when I was doing whatever, when I was a student, um, I was, you know, maybe the only woman in the room, or maybe there was another woman, maybe there are two of us in the room. Now, the field that I'm in today, and the world that I'm in today, and the world that we're in today, at Buffalo, I, I look in our, our room that we have press conferences in every week and local media comes alongside. And as a part of that, there's like five women in the room. Now there's still a lot more men than there are women, um, but more and more women are getting involved in sports. Um, so I think that's really cool. I think it's really promising for the future. I think it sends a message to maybe girls who who want to get involved in sports but may have been scared to in the past as they see more women becoming involved in sports they think oh this is not that hard for me to do look at look at maddie or look at somebody else um they're doing it and there's more women involved in the industry now so maybe it'll be a little bit easier for me um but coming up in it i i did get my fair share of looks my fair share of um, doubters, my fair share of people calling me out. So I feel like for women, you have to do your homework may, way more than a man does, because I feel like people doubt women and still do today doubt women a lot more than they doubt men, doubt what's coming out of a woman's mouth a lot more than they doubt what's coming out of a man's mouth. Unfortunately, um, I think it's getting better, but I think we're still in a day and age where um, people may think that women don't belong. So, but I'm, I'm proud to see a lot more women getting involved and a lot more women also getting involved in roles that you might not see as many women in, whether it's like analysts for sports, play-by-play um, -play -play people, play-by-play um, -play -play women who are doing play-by-play -play for football, which you usually don't see a lot of that of, but now there's more women doing it. Analysts, women, female analysts for men's basketball. Um, don't see a lot of that. See more of that now. Women who are in producer roles. Don't see a lot of women in producer roles or in a director role, um, especially inside of like control rooms for games that are people that are doing broadcasts for different games. That's usually a lot of men in the control room, whether it's a producer, whether it's a replay operator, whether it's a technical director, whether it's a director, um, you're seeing more women in those roles as well. So on camera, off camera, I think there's a lot more women that are a part of this industry today. And I think it's better because of it. But when you look at history, I mean, the strides that women have made to have roles in this industry are phenomenal. I, I just watched a documentary earlier this year um, called Let Them Wear Towels. And it was about women not even being allowed in locker rooms after 
major games to cover an interview because they were female and and that was crazy and that really opened my eyes to how much things have really changed um I'd say it, it depends on where you are about and your own personal experiences for how progressive you think the world is with women in both as as an athlete and as a um, young woman or or older woman covering athletics as well I think personally in Nebraska um so I'm the only female in my market and Lincoln on air but in the grand scheme of all of the whole state there's a few others and overall the feedback's great the response is great people are kind I think it's almost tougher being a young woman in the industry because then you've kind of got the oh you're a woman and then you're also young uh you feel like you have to prove yourself so much more and I think that's what will never go away for me or or and for a lot of women is yes we've made so many strides that we do have a seat at the table and there's it's so common if you see women covering every sport and every role um it's not taboo to be a woman covering sports at any level anymore in my in my opinion but what's hard is that you always have that idea in the back of your mind that okay I am a woman I'm gonna have to work two times harder to prove myself and the guy next to me just because of history and because of um not it's not people's fault but just because of inherent bias maybe and or maybe not I I can't read people's minds but that's kind of just um my take on it is that we've made the world's made so much so much progress in it but there's still progress to be made um and having that innate worry that you have to work harder than you know someone else that's doing the same job as you is kind of tough sometimes I would start back in the J school I I think that it's probably changed since now. I don't think that we talked a ton about being a woman in sports specifically and what that might entail or what that might look like, or it's, it's a fine line. You don't want to just say, well, you might experience these things and it might be really hard, but you also don't want people to go in blindly and naively. And so I don't think it, there was really an emphasis on what that might be like, but I, I watched women do this job. I connected with women who did this job but I don't think that the visibility was there. I don't think the equality was even close to it when I was in college. And I think women, I think the sideline role in particular was made to seem small and made to seem irrelevant. You could do without it. She doesn't have to be there. She's just a pretty face wearing a dress. That's that's their role. Their role is to just entertain for a moment, draw eyes in. I think that's what the narrative was around that job in that position. And that was something that I was looking at, something that I was interested in on top of being a, a journalist, but being a sideline reporter and being working for a team and getting the chance to do that job in that way. And I would say when I graduated and got my first job back in Har Harrisburg, excuse me, I think it opened my eyes a lot to the reality of a woman working in sports and some of the experiences that I had, I've shared with a lot of people. I was, I don't know if I was like completely ready for it. I think that the way that I was spoken to at times or the comments that were made to me, I wasn't ready for. And it was hard to navigate because I was, I had moved so far from home. I was still trying to figure out the, the landscape of journalism and, and the job space. I, I think I speak for a lot of people. I don't think of myself as a woman in sports. I just think of myself as a sports reporter. But when you realize that everyone is always watching you, again, I, I smile, I laugh, I build relationships. So I, I would go to the field. I would do interviews with coaches, with players, and I'm smiling, I'm laughing. They're, they're kind of, you know, your water cooler talk. You're trying to get to know each other a little bit. And 
So about halfway through the season, I can't remember when I wasn't allowed to go down to the field anymore without a supervisor because people had seen me laughing and smiling on the field. And it confuses you because you think I'm just doing my job. And the other guy who's doing this job, he doesn't have to have somebody. He can go in the clubhouse. I can't go in the clubhouse. And so I, I think early on, that was in 2012, not really sure how to consume that information or what to do with it or what that meant for me, but also just trying to understand that scenario and why was I being treated that way? Why wasn't I allowed to, to build rapport with people who I'm covering and I think that is something that was during that time period, I think 2010 to, to, I would say like 2018, 19, that was something that a lot of women dealt with and moving on from that job, I think coming to New York and being in a really uh, intense role and in a, in a space, in a more, a bigger space at MLB.com, you know, you have experiences where people say things to you. I had bosses who said things to me like, you're too nice. You're too green. Stick to producing. That's you, you don't, you're not going to make it on camera. Um, among other inappropriate comments that men just make, and, and it was men, it wasn't women, men just make in my case anyway. Um, so I think navigating that, I would say over the last decade has been difficult and frustrating and sad and it makes you question do I want to do this and that that I think is like the worst of it all because I deserve to do what I want with my time on this earth regardless if I'm man or woman so why should I have to deal with these things that make me have to choose if I want to continue on this path because I'm a woman and I think that's the worst part is that I just want to do the job and I deserve to do the job. But then you have people who make you really uncomfortable and you think, well, why would I go through this? Why would I put myself through this? I will say though, I think in, from my personal experience, that's all I can speak to in the last couple of years that it has changed a lot. And I think that because of the awareness to title nine and the eyes and what you're seeing, I think women's sports are pushing that for obvious reasons with title nine, but the way that we are seeing them grow and the, the, we come closer, like the equality, we're getting a little bit closer, a little bit closer every time because people are speaking out. I think that that's changed the way that we operate men and women in the same space now and doing jobs and the landscape has changed a lot. And I think that there's more emphasis on, oh, she can do the job, give her the job. Not because she's a woman, but she can do the job. She's qualified to do the job. And I've seen that in a lot of different spaces. Thank you for listening to the R Missouri podcast. If you would like to learn more about the podcast, including past and future episodes, information about guests and upcoming events, please visit our website at shsmo.org forward slash our dash Missouri.